This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The IRS is the most feared agency in the world. You've heard ads from other companies offering to help taxpayers only if they owe over $10,000. Here at Platinum Tax Defenders, we're A-plus rated with the Better Business Bureau, and we're proud to be one of the only tax firms in the country who understands that people who owe less than $10,000 need help just as badly. The IRS doesn't care how much money you owe. They'll still garnish your wages and even seize your assets. So whether you owe just a few thousand dollars or hundreds of thousands, call now for your free tax consultation. If you qualify, we may even be able to reduce your tax debt down to a small fraction of what you owe. So don't wait until the IRS seizes your property and garnishes your wages. Call 800-579-4967 and get your tax problem resolved once and for all. That number again is 800 579 4967-800-579-4967. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back this week to another episode of Reform This, your faithful American patriot. Muslim who recognizes the need to reform, who recognizes that the world has a Muslim problem that needs a Muslim solution, and that the best way to build friends and neighbors and thrive diversity is through tough love, to demand that my Muslim communities, our Muslim communities, be held to the same standards as the rest of the world, the rest of the free world that recognizes the imperative of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Every week, I think you'll get a flavor here of a sense of that voice of hope that has been missing in much of the media, the melee of multiculturalism, of political correctness. And last week, we talked about the attack on the Berlin Christmas market that killed 12 and left many more injured. I hope and pray that you all had a wonderful Merry Christmas. And in our holiday episode last week, uh, that we began to talk about the attack in Berlin. And this week, as some of the details again are flowing in, I'd like to fill in the lines, if you will, to use this as, yes, just another teaching moment. But maybe the lights will go on. Hopefully the shifts in Washington happening in January will not be tectonic but major and swift to change that axis from the useless axis of violent extremism to the more appropriate axis of violent Islamism. Hey, hell, I'll even take violent jihadism. That's what it really is. And as we said last week, it's the global jihad stupid. And the details coming in on uh, Ennis Amory, the Tunisian who was bizarrely seeking asylum in Italy and then went to Germany. And now we're finding out that as he was on the lam, he went from Berlin to Amsterdam, got on a train to France, and then goes from France to Italy. And this highlights again and underscores how many holes and gaps exist 
in the European Union and the nation states as they lose their identity, lose their security apparatus, strength to surrender to the influx of refugees from all over the planet. And, you know, listen, it is not just about Syria. As we've seen in the last few attacks, San Bernardino was from Pakistan. Uh, the... Um, Berlin attack was from Tunisia. And yes, the Syrian refugees pose a significant threat because of the percent, as we've highlighted here, the reports from the Clarion Project that have discussed studies, upwards of 20% have Islamist, if not ISIS, support within them. And we've not been vetting any ideology. None. None whatsoever. We're only vetting terrorism, an act. A threat. We're vetting association with terror organizations. We're not vetting jihadist ideology. And now, just to highlight this for you, and, you know, there are bits and pieces you may get from other media, but I think if we can just connect the dots here. Ennis Emery comes in from Tunisia in 2011. 2011, I'll remind you, was when the Arab awakening started in Tunisia with the self-immolation of a, of a Delhi man who decides to light himself on fire. Next thing you know, Twitter is ablaze. People are, are marching in the streets for their freedom. After months, the king decides to depart, exile himself, and Tunisia then is on its way to a democracy, and of all the countries that have become chaotic in the Middle East, yes, Tunisia has had its hiccups and problems, but it's been relatively nonviolent, and it's been relatively democratized, with the Islamists actually losing an election in 2014, December 31st, 2014, and Nahda, the Muslim Brotherhood of Tunisia that won the election initially, lost round two. Different than Egypt, there was no coup necessary. So back to 2011, when Amri leaves and goes to Italy, odds are the folks leaving Tunisia were the most radical. He then gets in trouble with the law, commits crimes, and is put in prison for four years. He was probably radicalized somewhat. Now a story's out that Amri, while he was in prison in Italy, tried to behead his Christian roommate his Christian cellmate at the prison. And yet, as much as they realized he was probably radical, he's then let out of prison and de deported to where? Nowhere. Just he's, he's kicked out of Italy. They had nowhere to send him. He decides on his own. I guess he's got a free pass through the EU. Hello, that uh, shows the security problems in the EU and goes to Germany. That guy should have been sent back to Tunisia. And he's claiming asylum? Asylum from what? And then Germany re in 2015 refuses his asylum. Why? No, not because of the reality, which is Tunisia is not a dangerous place for political dissidents. But no, it's refused because he was too radical. Tunisia wouldn't take him. Seriously? And then he's being monitored. So this guy now we're finding out, as you put together the enlarging circles of radicalization, 
the inner circle that this guy was in was the Abu Ala Imam network that had known 20 jihadists that had gone to Syria to fight with ISIS. The Abu Ala network is a notorious imam from Iraq who had claimed the education of certain regions of Germany towards radicalization and radical Islamization towards ISIS and had been a known entity. Interesting thing. Again, ding, ding, failure. He's removed from the roles of monitoring in September 2016, just a few months ago. I guess he was thought to be no longer a threat, but his roommate still was part of that network and was still being monitored. And now we hear this week another Tunisian, unnamed yet so far, is being identified. And we also know that Amri's guru was a 36-year-old by the name of Siminovic, a Serbian Muslim who had come to Germany radicalized through the process of his indoctrination into Salafi Wahhabi, Salafi Wahhabism or Salafi Jihadism, and began to teach younger aspiring ISIS militants the ideologies, and sure enough, Emery was one of those. And Siminovich was one of the lead trainers for the Abu Wala Imam. And these pieces are beginning to come together. And and listen, you know, folks, I, I didn't this stuff's on the internet. The reporters are putting it together quickly. It's out there. It's known networks that have been followed. This is not rocket science. That's the jihadi network. And here's a guy who leaves Italy, goes to Germany. In Germany, by the way, in 2015, he had three interactions with the law. One was a knife on a bus. The other was a drug arrest. And another one was an a act of violence. He was released after all three. But the fascinating thing is that he was removed from monitoring in September 2016. And then... It turns out he had a video of allegiance to ISIS that he took two to three weeks before the event. And that allegiance video was obviously taken by another one of the network. So the, the, the point we all need to understand here is that knock it off with this radicalization on the Internet stuff. The Internet is one of the tools for them to communicate and to get the jihadization through Wahhabi schools, through, as we saw with San Bernardino, the Huda school in Pakistan. Any Muslims who are devout to know these schools and what they are. But again, we prove over and over and over that it's their inner circle of friends within not only one country, but the jihadi networks that was the radicalization of these individuals. And Emery was radicalized by uh, his guru who knew Al-Wala and others. And now they're all coming on, oh, yeah, this was a cell. It's not a cell, it's an organism. And the organism is the Islamist ideology, the jihadist ideology. And the jihadization is what we should be following. But we're not. And God bless the security apparatuses. I'm sure they did the best they could. Once this guy was known, quickly they came together. And once he got into Italy, he was in their prison system, so they got him right away. It's amazing how much facial recognition 
Cameras were missing and didn't get him from Netherlands to France and on. But that's once we knew who he was and he had committed the act and a post-mortem manhunt. Pre-mortem, we should have been all over these networks. But I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, the N, in, in statistics we talk about the N, which is the number of people in the study. The N is too big. The security apparatuses will tell you that, well, it's, it's too big, so what do we do? And they throw their hands up and say, well, it's too big. Narrow it down. Their end right now is violent extremists. So they, they can't even monitor them unless they have predilections towards violence. That's the entire formula. So they look at individuals that might have some interaction with violence with a whiff of ideology that you know that is part of the equation, but no one will admit to it. And then if that whiff comes to fruition, then they look for violence. If they no, no longer are violent, they drop them from the monitoring. And the N is too big because it's including everyone from Tunisia, Syria, Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, etc. And there are millions. And not only refugees or asylum seekers, but citizens and others that are radicalized, as we saw in the cell in Belgium that had committed an act four months prior in Paris and was hiding out in neighborhoods in Molenbeek, which were all citizens that allowed these radicals to hide out. And I hope many of them have been arrested since then. I hope they're all brought to justice for being accomplices in, in, in acts of war against their own state. But again, most Muslims are patriotic. Most Muslims will report these individuals. But unfortunately, that majority of Muslims are silent. They're not reforming. They're not participating in what you and I are talking about on this program, Reform This. When I come back, I'm going to fill in a few more details and talk about what should happen, hopefully, in 2017. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. On the Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something. And progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another segment this week of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. The place I hope that you find a... Uh, comforting American Muslim voice that can hopefully give you some hope. Not that we're going to solve this this week or next month or next year, but that you are beginning to see the first path, the first steps that really make sense in the journey towards national security, towards freedom and liberty, towards the repair of that quarter of the world, quarter of the world's population that has yet to go through a modernization of liberal thinking, of classical liberalism, of the belief in the separation of mosque and state that I believe is the only way to solve this problem. 
We talked last segment. I was talking about Ennis Amir and how Mr. Amory was missed and yet followed and how his mentors, Abu Ala Siminovich and others that had radicalized him, who, by the way, were arrested earlier this year in November. And yet this guy was in that network and he got to think that the security apparatuses when they start arresting folks on terrorism charges, including major radicalizers in a network that had been associated with 20 jihadists that they finally were able to get under German law on, on terrorism charges, that Amory would have been on their radar. That any of the contacts, because you realize that once the arrests are made soon thereafter, you are going to probably have some acts committed and often just quickly as soft target as possible so that they can do it and they will videotape themselves doing it or with allegiance or whatever it may be and sure enough Amri if a month or so later after his mentors were nabbed commits this act this heinous act of barbarism against the Christian community on the on the Berlin Christmas market and his preceding videos his apparent cell phone activity was chattering and it looked like it looked like in the year before he had been taken on hikes on training how to go from country to country within the eu by seminovich who's from serbia so he understood the system so here's this fake asylum seeker radicalized by a eu native who wanted to go to Syria to work with ISIS and was part of the militant global jihad. We have to begin to focus on the global jihad. This one network of wala imam is one of, sadly, probably one of many. And ladies and gentlemen, if we believe in diversity and equality, this multiculturalism has to be has to be slowed down. It has to be put in its place. The porous borders have to be stopped, have to be re recovered to national identity. And the national identity is not just about borders. It is about reclaiming what it means to be German, what it means to be British, what it means to be Dutch, Italian, French, as these countries are struggling with this enemy that has a viral ideology that is based on a global caliphate. Caliphism is the belief that the world should be under the dominion, the domination of Islam. The belief that there is no secular state, that that is a racist nationalist movements that are un-Islamic and inhuman. Well, that can be the impact of nationalism, as we saw with Nazism, with Mussolini in Italy, and Nasserism in Egypt, and Arabism throughout the Middle East. Yes, it can be an, also an evil. But nationalism rooted in equality and liberty and the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, a constitution like our American Constitution that separates church and state that recognizes inalienable rights of every individual under God, not under a single faith or under government, but under God. 
that those rights are equal, that anyone has equal access to government. That is the threat that the Islamists hate, is nationalism inspired by an equality that you become a soldier for that state to defend the freedom of every individual against the global threats. While Islamism is a negation of the individual under God, but rather a tribal mentality that we collectivize and destroy the individual right under one theocracy, that the government becomes God, the caliph is God's successor, God's representative on earth. That is the difference. And until Muslims defeat caliphism, until Muslims defeat the jihad, the military allegiance that comes to wanting to serve in a military that is seeking a caliphate. Now, they may say that ISIS is a radical, militant caliphate, but a moderate caliphate is better. No, any caliphism, just like any communism, is bad. I don't care if they're anti-Soviet, if they're communist, they were bad in the Cold War. Because they hate liberty, they hate capitalism, they hate freedom and individual rights. They believed in communal collectivism. They believed in socialism. And we're still fighting them. Putin's system of collectivism and his united Russian federation seeks to recover the Cold War mentality of gobbling up countries around and rebuilding his old Soviet empire. The Cold War today is less about Russia, but more about the global jihad as the Arab awakening is beginning to put dictators on, on notice. But when you put dictators on notice, we need to begin to have the opportunity given to dissidents who believe in freedom of the individual and not allow those vacuums to be filled by Islamist movements, because the corporate Islamists of the monarchs of the Gulf states of Saudi Arabia, Qatar, and Kuwait, or the military dictators of Egypt and Syria and Iraq and others, obviously the previous Iraq, now it's a chaotic Iraq that's controlled by Iran, but the military secular dictators are also Islamists, but they're corporate Islamists. And they also radicalize their population because they feed from the same Islamist supremacism that the law should be Sharia law. So when we look at defending and protecting Europe, the Ennis Amrys of the world, there are many of them, but we can only follow them if we hone down our crosshairs upon the jihadism, that network of collective jihadism that inspires Every network, and the same inspiration for the San Bernardino fighters and all of the others that were militants, that were fighting for the jihad and would kill anyone who believes in the American system and is not Muslim, whether they be Christian, Jewish, Buddhist, Hindu, whatever it may be, or modern Muslims who reject Islamism as a state, as an identity, and as a Sharia system. It is time to change the mantra from countering violent extremism to countering violent Islamism and jihadism. It is amazing all of the signs that were missed in this Amri that were allowed to exist not only internally in his network, 
But as we find out more in the, in the more distant circles of supporting communities, not only the militant ISIS sympathetic networks, but the Islamist networks that were separating them out as us versus them. The grievance networks that said that Muslims are hated in the West, that Jews are conspiring to destroy Islam and all the other conspiracy theories out there. That's what we should be monitoring. And I'm sorry, that does not make that end bigger. The number that we monitor, that bottom denominator, no. It is large, the Islamist movements. And yes, those are ideological movements, most of which are nonviolent. Nobody's saying to take away their rights. But by gosh darn, they should be on the screens and the data gathering of every counter-terror expert that is sitting behind a monitor at the NSA or any of the other security apparatuses going through Europe, from Italy to France to Europe to the UK and Germany and other countries. It is just mind-boggling that this individual can be traveling and is not on a circle of threat. We should have threat circles. You know, it's fascinating. The Islamists are showing us how in America. They have their list of Islamophobes with inner circle and outer circle, which are actually the people doing the anti-jihad work in this country. And they claim that they are the threat to Muslims when, in fact, they use that data. The Council on American Islamist Radicalization, CARE, uses that data to radicalize Muslims and make us feel separate out of the community. And they tell, are telling us how we should be looking at them. Let's take that mirror and put it on them and have our own circles of threat, the inner circle being ISIS. The circle around that being Hamas, also a terror group, and Al-Qaeda within it. And then around that is the supporting Islamist group, be it the Muslim Student Association, the, the Muslim American Society, the Islamic Circle of North America, the Islamic Society of North America. Those are nonviolent Muslim Brotherhood legacy groups that are cauldrons of separatist movements. They may absolutely condemn terrorism. But they certainly teach and brainwash Muslims that Americanism, the belief in secular society, the rejection of Sharia law and government, the rejection of the Islamic identity movement, they train Muslims that that's evil. So Habe Webb had a speech this week, which I'm going to talk about in the next segment, about how... Islamophobia now is rearing its head by Americans in the West trying to declare the Muslim Brotherhood a terrorist organization. That while they are not Muslim Brotherhood, that means they're coming for us next. And we can talk about that. I hope that you can take what I've tried to encapsulate here and teach your friends. Teach your friends that it's the global jihad, stupid. Teach your friends that it's not about stopping Muslims from coming. It's not about stopping Tunisians or Pakistanis from coming. It's about stopping the jihadists. Yes, a large percentage of those who want to come here are jihadists who want to plant the seeds of terror here to effect policy in the Middle East, to 
radicalize their own and show them that we are weak. Yes, that is their their goal, but we can vet against that as we did in other wars that we're sending patriots our way and sending threats our way, whether it be Vietnam, whether it be World War II. We have fought wars in which our enemies had innocent citizens that wanted to come here for freedom and protection from genocide and also had enemies within those that were trying to come to destroy us. But we took them in because those became the best and brightest of our country, and it did not change the narrative of who we are, but it also allowed us to better fight our enemy because we then understood how to defeat and name the enemy and what radicalized them against us. And now with the enemies being Islamists, we can do that again. And this time in a theopolitical war. When we come back, I want to talk about Islamist organizations in America and two major meetings that happen every year here in America that you should have had your radar on, but unfortunately were not covered. And I'll give you some of the details. This is Zudi Jaster on Reform This, and I'll be right back. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. The IRS is the most feared agency in the world. You've heard ads from other companies offering to help taxpayers only if they owe over $10,000. Here at Platinum Tax Defenders, we're A-plus rated with the Better Business Bureau, and we're proud to be one of the only tax firms in the country who understands that people who owe less than $10,000 need help just as badly. The IRS doesn't care how much money you owe. They'll still garnish your wages and even seize your assets. So whether you owe just a few thousand dollars or hundreds of thousands, Call now for your free tax consultation. If you qualify, we may even be able to reduce your tax debt down to a small fraction of what you owe. So don't wait until the IRS seizes your property and garnishes your wages. Call 800-579-4967 and get your tax problem resolved once and for all. That number again is 800-579-4967. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another segment this week of Reform This. It's always great to be with you. Thank you for your faith and trust in navigating this journey with me week to week. And if you're new, hopefully you like what you hear. You're getting some hope, a sense that there's a Muslim out there, many Muslims out there, who want to take ownership, responsibility for writing the course of this world that is beleaguered with the cancer of jihad, the cancer of Salafi jihadism, and the need to find a Muslim solution for a Muslim problem. Now, in the first two seconds, we talked about the, the Berlin attacks, the Tunisian that had been radicalized and how those networks support one another in the militant networks. I want to talk about the larger underbelly and that underbelly being the Islamist movements in the West. The ones that many times have major debates about militancy, moral equivalency of militants and their detestment for America the focus and obsession on Islamophobia, the grievance narrative, and the harm that has upon our community. Well, always, annually, as America celebrates Christmas and New Year's, 
the largest Islamist groups in the country, the Muslim Brotherhood legacy groups of the Islamic Circle of North America, ICNA, the Islamics, um, the Muslim American Society, which is the basically the infrastructure of what used to be the Muslim Brotherhood in America. If you look at their classes, the tarbiyah programs, the the uh, allegiances, the bayat that they take to their leaders in the community. It is exactly like the Brotherhood does. It was outed in, uh, the MAS was outed in 2004 by two journalists that wrote a piece called The Secretive Network of the Muslim Brotherhood in the Chicago Tribune and discussed how the chapters in Illinois, for example, uh, in in Bridgeview had raised money for Hamas and uh, had ultimately exposed some of the overlap between Hamas fundraising and the mosque there. So the MAS ICNA has its annual convention, and surprise, surprise, it's in Chicago. And uh, the other Islamist convention, which is less sort of the viral political Islamist group and more sort of the spiritual Islamist narrative, is called RIS, which is in Toronto, Canada, it's reviving the Islamic spirit. These are more the sort of spiritual Sufi-esque, if you will, Islamists. And I know many of my Sufi friends will be offended at the mixture of those two ideas. And certainly there is no over, not that much overlap at all between Sufism and Islamism. But for many, for many in the West, there is. For folks like Hamza Yusuf from the Zaytuna Institute, for Salafis like uh, Yasser Qadi, uh, and uh, many of the Imams like Suhaib Webb, Siraj Wahaj, and others, there is a significant gray, more than a gray zone between Salafism, the idea of going backwards to the time of the Prophet, Salaf meaning the friends of the Prophet, and trying to purify Islam, to Wahhabism, which is the militant form, and there's less of that among these folks, obviously. Many of them are anti-Wahhabi, and even some may be anti-Salafi. But for the Reviving the Islamic Spirit, the RIS Conference in Toronto, Tariq Ramadan was one of their featured speakers, and uh, initially he used to do video presentations, and then once he was allowed to come to the West, um, he then used to come in person annually. I don't know if he came this year. He did express some recent discomfort with ISNA, and they had one of the classic internecine battles. This year, as Hamza Yusuf again spoke next to folks like Siraj Wahaj, Siraj Wahaj is a board member of CARE, is a massive fundraiser for ISNA, does the rounds of the Islamic Muslim Brotherhood legacy group fundraisers from MAS to CARE to ICNA, Islamic Circle of North America. And in my book, Battle for the Soul of Islam, I talk about Siraj Wahaj, how I had an interaction with him, and I think I talked about this in my first podcast, on how he rose in front of Islamic Society of North America dais in 1995 and shook the Quran and said, we as Muslims need to replace the Constitution in this country with this Constitution from God. This is written by God, while the Constitution of this country is written by man, and thus it should be replaced. And I expressed to the entire meeting that that was seditious, that was un-American, and as a naval officer I was profoundly and deeply offended. 
Those are the people that Hamza Yusuf has been speaking next to and continues to every year at the Reviving the Islamic Spirit Conference. Now, he would tell you probably, and I've only spoken to him very briefly a few times, nothing of any substance, personally, tried to engage him publicly, critically, and very politely. He blocked me on Twitter and doesn't really want to engage in a battle of ideas about the need to reform in Islam, about political Islam, and about what are the ideas that need reform. But interestingly, he does take on some of these ideas. And to his credit, took it on this week, this week in the RIS conference, and he questioned, he did the sacrilege of questioning the Black Lives Matter movement and mentioning that the statistics just don't bear it out, that we as Muslims, and this is in an interview with Mehdi Hassan, who sat with him and interviewed him in the RIS, Reviving the Islamic Spirit Conference in Toronto this week. And he interviewed him, Mehdi Hassan being one of the more strident, well-known for his bloviating on the Islamist Muslim Brotherhood Network of Al Jazeera out of Qatar has his own program on there, and obviously he's well-connected to all of these Islamist networks and speaks for them frequently. So he's interviewing Hamza Yusuf and goes on thanking him for all of his work against Islamophobia for years and lays out all of the threats of Muslims, be it Trump, be it the uh, right-wing think tanks and other areas that he lays out and Hamza Yusuf nods his head and says, all of the above are all anti-Islam, and we continue to fight them, and it's only going to get worse under a Trump administration, according to these two backslapping Islamists. But then he asks him about why Muslims aren't more into the anti-racist movements, because really Islamophobia, according to these guys, is a racism, which doesn't make any sense. Islam is an idea. Muslims believe in an ideology of Islam. And no, he doesn't then correct him about that. He, he loves using, uh, Hamza Yusuf loves using the term Islamophobia, but no, it does push back on the Black Lives Matter and says that the this, this statistics don't bear that out, that a lot of the killing is black on black, and that America is one of the least racist countries in the world. And then he said, we really have the problem of racism with Arabs hating Pakistanis, hating Indians and uh, the um, significant racism that beleaguers Muslim communities. And he even said he gets nauseated when people compare America to those. And hats off to him for that moment of clarity on one of the many hypocrisies that I wish he would focus on, because our life is short. He can't use that one episode to then claim credibility for all the other things he nodded his head he did say Muslims need to be better at reaching out to Republicans and conservatives. Well, you do that ideologically. You don't do that by collectivizing Muslims. Before I get to that, after this conference, then that interview became all the talk of the Islamist bulletin boards and Twitterati and Facebook pages, to the point that two days later, Hamza Yusuf issued an apology to the Black Lives Matter movement. He then later in that interview also discussed the problem with political Islam and the Muslim Brotherhood and equating them to ISIS in many ways and also then was 
berated on the internet by many, including some of his colleagues like Suhaib Webb, who was distraught and offended by how his once respected colleague had gone after in one interview in front of Muslims that adore him had gone after the Black Lives Matter movement that represents what we believe will threaten Muslims, had gone after the Muslim Brotherhood, which he believes, making it labeled what it is, it's a terrorist organization, making it labeled that means that Muslims are going to be next, all Muslims will be next, and that's exactly what Islamists say. The problem is, is I don't know what to think about Hamza Yusuf's position on this, his discussion of Islamophobia, his inability to talk about reforms against the Islamic State concept, against caliphism, his inability to sign our declaration of the Muslim Reform Movement, which is bingo, is the problem with places like the Zaytuna Institute that talk reform when it suits them to claim moderation. And yes, he took some some slugs this week on the internet and had to apologize, and he shouldn't have apologized, but he did because that's his main constituency. And yet, he'll use that to claim moderation. When in fact, if Zaytuna was moderate, Zayd Shacker would not have been quoted in the New York Times as saying that he hopes that America becomes an Islamic state. And when I called him on that, Zayd Shacker, by the way, is Hamza Yusuf's right-hand man. And when I called him on that in 2006 in an editorial series of editorials I did in the Washington Times, on PBS he, he responded to my editorial saying that he meant as a democracy under the Declaration of Independence in the U.S. Constitution that would be Islamic, quote-unquote. Nonsense. Islamism needs to be defeated and needs to be outed, no different than the Church of England was outed and defeated in the revolution. And yes, these internecine battles, make no mistake, there's a lot to be learned in these internecine battles. When you say, where are the voices of moderate Islam? When you see what happens to a Sufi, quasi-Islamist, modernist Islamism 8.0 type of theologian in America, you wonder where the voices of real moderate Islam the anti-Islamist, anti-jihadist voices are. That's what happens. They make examples of more moderate Islamists like Hamza Yusuf in order to prevent the real reformers who call a spade a spade from having a voice. So that little vision I hope I gave you into the internecine battles inside the reviving the Islamic Spirit Conference and about what happened to Hamza Yusuf I hope wakes you up to the fact that these are happening if Americans really there was a that was conference of 10,000 thousands of Muslims there in Toronto from all over the the west with moderate moderated discussions that then became the talk of boards all over the country and Hamza Yusuf, by the way, also made a comment about Yasser Qadi from the Al-Maghrib Institute, a known Salafi apologist. Now, he claims he's post-Salafi, but a known Salafi apologist who the New York Times falsely heralded as a moderate. And obviously, Hamza Yusuf has problems with him as a Salafi. 
And when Mehdi Hassan asked him that, well, why don't we unite? Why the criticism towards Muslims? Hamza Yusuf's response was a sarcastic, that's rich coming from Yasser Qadi, which I thought also was a frankly honest comment. Yasser Qadi has attacked many Muslims who are honest and critical publicly and made tried to make a mockery by slandering and libeling them. And I think it's fascinating that that just that little comment, if you look and Google this week, Hamza Yusuf and Yasser Qadi, you'll see all the legions of Islamists that came to the defense of Yasser Qadi. These internecine battles teach us a lot, but ultimately, don't let that fool you. Don't let it deceive you about the real battle ahead. When we come back, I want to give you a little insight into the connection of the Islamists that met in Chicago at their large convention this week and their connection to the largest threat, I think, growing in the Middle East right now, which is the Turkey-Erdogan regime of the AKP. I'll be right back. Breaching the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something, and progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to the last segment this week of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. It's always great to be with you. I hope you all had a Merry Christmas and looking forward to a wonderful new year. Um, and uh, may this new year bring you the blessings, the wishes, the dreams that you aspire to for you and your family and your loved ones. Happy New Year, and God bless America, and God keep the free world safe and secure from the threat of jihadism. This week I'm trying to give you a little window into the internecine battles within the Islamist world, especially here in the West. There was another meeting that happened this week, It was a meeting of the Muslim American Society and the Islamic Circle of North America. And that meeting always highlights a lot of the known Islamists that begin, I believe, the process of radicalization, even though they may not preach militancy, preach separatism, though, preach a conspiratorial mindset, state of mind that looks upon America as the enemy, if you will, Americans as bigoted, as anti-Islam exaggerates the threat towards Muslims and avoids, most importantly, avoids the reforms that are long overdue in our community. And it was amazing that this week, and I, you know, hats off to the investigative project for the work they did in discussing a, a speech that Erdogan's daughter gave at this conference. So first of all, even organizing that for people that have put together conferences, bringing in speakers, etc., there has to be a close connection. 
Turkey's connection to the American, not only Turkish community, but the Islamist community is deeper and stronger than it's ever been. And ladies and gentlemen, that is a security threat. Is that part of the security clearance profiles of Muslims working for government and quasi-government operations? I don't think so. Do you know that one of the largest mosques in America right now is the mosque in Maryland, in suburban Maryland, around D.C., around Baltimore, between Baltimore and D.C.? That is a large Turkish-funded mosque in the millions. And you're telling me that that has nothing to do with the AKP? The AKP is the Islamist party of Erdogan. That is the Muslim Brotherhood identity movement. And you and I have talked before on this podcast about last week's assassination of the Russian ambassador to Turkey on how that was a likely an individual from the AKP who was really upset with Erdogan's move towards back to Russia. We've talked about the cleansing of twenty to 30,000 professors and loyalists in the government to a secular Turkey that were cleansed out, including the Gulen movement that was also a threat to the Islamists of Turkey. Not to say the Gulenists are not Islamists, but a little different animal, if you will, ideologically from the AKP, in that they're not as global, but they certainly are corporate Islamists. Erdogan, though, is moving a little more beyond simply being Islamists of the AKP viral movement to being cult-oriented to his ideological supremacy as the cult leader of Turkey's Islamist movement, be it the Gulenists, be it the secular military in Turkey. If they get in the way, they will be destroyed. And in the meantime, they're trying to evangelize their movement into the West through mosques that they build and fund, no different than the Saudis' playbook, and also through reaching out to the lowest hanging fruit for them, which are the Islamist groups in the West. So, fast forward to Christmas week in Chicago, the Muslim American Society, Islamic Circle of North America, two virulent Islamist groups, not militant, but virulently flag-waving Islamist groups in America, bring the daughter of Erdogan to speak at the Islamic conference. Recep Tayyip Erdogan's daughter speaks and she's introduced by Suhaib Webb. And Webb gives her a glowing introduction and then tweets about how proud he is to have had the honor of introducing the the daughter of one of the greatest Islamic leaders in the planet. And she, in the meantime, talks about the Gulen cult led by Fatula Gulen. And then she goes on to give an apologetic that no journalists have been imprisoned, no individuals uh, who are part of any movements other than those who have threatened militantly the state. Pure lies, pure unmitigated lies. And she said that to cheers in the audience. It even, however brought more internecine battles. You had diehard Islamists like Rabia Chowdhury who said we should be ashamed of ourselves as she tweeted out and responded after this for bringing in the likes of Erdogan's apologists 
into the conference. So, again, hats off to her for being true to the cause. But, again, this is an individual who is an Islamist, but at least is true to her beliefs and understands the corruption and the lies that are being perpetrated under the guise of political Islam. The, the true believing Islamists want that ideology to withstand global scrutiny. And they realize that Erdogan is just entering the dictator's club. And that's not going to withstand global scrutiny. So when Soheib Webb says he was honored to introduce her and thankful to the presidency of Erdogan for their concern and attention towards justice and tolerance. Some honest folks who are trying to avoid public hypocrisy are going to throw up at that. And I think it's just fascinating to see whether it's the militants in Syria with the different Al-Qaeda groups fighting in, on the battlefield versus the Islamists of ISIS. They're all Islamists, but they're fighting one another no different than mafia families fight one another in the streets of major cities in America. And sure enough, ideologically, the Islamists will bring in whoever they think will bring them closer to power against the free world, that secular anti-Islam world. They see now the, 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 the rising star of the Turkish dictatorship, the Islamists of Turkey. So the Islamists in America want to be closer to that power. No different than the folks that took when the MSA started taking money from the Saudis and, and ultimately began to build that network, and they still do. And what's fascinating is this week, Jamal Bedoui, giving a speech, said Jamal Bedoui is one of the, is on the board of many of Muslim Brotherhood legacy group mosques in America, like the ISB of Boston, Islamic Society of Boston, and is a known icon of Islamist teachings in the West and American Canada. He said, Islam does not need reform. Reform means literally fixing something that's broken. Islam is God's religion, and it's not broken. That's what he basically said. So, so you find that these Islamists fancy themselves to be God. Speaking at these conference, Bedoui basically thinks that, well, his version of Islam, whatever he thinks is Islam, must be Islam, so therefore he must be God and knows what Islam is. Sure, all of the faiths at their core believe that God's religion as it was presented by God does not need reform. Whether it be through Abraham and Moses, through Jesus, or through Muhammad. But unless people are talking directly to God, Islam today is a man-made interpretation of what was originally God's religion. So the bottom line is, is that these Islamists are going to battle about who they think is closer to God, and some of them will have a God complex in doing that, be it Erdogan's God complex in destroying his, his country through an Islamist supremacism and regional supremacism, be it Suhaib Webb's fealty to the Turkish regime, be it the Islamists here who strategically say, you know, wait a minute, this isn't going to sell with Americans. I can't believe you're doing that like Rabia Chowdhury, as the investigative report talked about this week, about the internecine debate happening within the Muslim community. 
bottom line is is that the Islamists in America want to, uh, they don't care if they become tools of the Turkish regime. They just want to be closer to funds, closer to power, closer to influence against what they feel is the grand, the grand jihad against capitalism, against freedom, against liberty. So it is incumbent upon all of us. I want to leave you this week with the thought that it is incumbent, whether it be counter-radicalization in Europe, counter-jihadization, that we identify all of these groups as part of a network that is seditious, that is separatist and is a fifth column. I'm sorry. I don't want their rights taken away, but I want the sunlight shine upon them as a threat to the radicalization of my children and my children's children, that they are part of the beginning of the conveyor belt of the radicalization of our community, be it the Islamic Society of North America, the Muslim American Society. Yes, there may be many and many Muslims in that group who go there for just getting closer to God and getting closer to their religion. But the leadership, the ideas exchanged on the stage are not about reform, real reform of Muslims against Islamist movements and the oxygen, which is Sharia identity, Sharia state identity, and allegiance towards secular states that recognize the, the, the inviolable equality of individuals before under God, before society in every courtroom, that anyone could be president, anyone could be mayor, governor, senator, congressman. No, in their Islamic state, only Muslims and Islamists can be if they belong to the state party. So as we go on from here, begin to look at these massive meetings happening in Chicago and Toronto. These organizations, the MAS, CARE, ISNA, these alphabet soup of Islamic organizations are meeting. Some of them might appear to be debating things. But it's all moving the chairs on the deck of their Titanic, which is the ideology of Islamism. And if they reject our Muslim reform movement, they are part of the problem. If they accept it, then they're part of the solution. And yes, the Hamza Yusufs of the world, the Rabia Chowdhury's of the world might appear to be moderated by criticizing the Islamist establishment. But they just want Islamism 4.0 from the 3.0. That's what they're debating. But they're not debating the defeat of Islamism into the dustbin of history. That's what I pray for. I believe that my kids will not be safe from radicalization as Muslims until we see the end of the Islamic State concept across the planet, the end of the Islamic republics across the planet and the Sharia states that infuse them and the beginning of a new school of Sharia thought that is comfortable at home under a U.S. Constitution, under, not next to, under a U.S. Constitution and Bill of Rights. This is Zudi Jasser. Thank you for joining me again in this journey. I hope to continue to join you week to week at the Blaze Radio Network on Reform This. Happy New Year. God bless America and God bless you and your family. This is Zudi Jasser. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network.